And welcome to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where we take a look at the issues that go on in this world through a biblical perspective, and oftentimes compare it to the worldview that we might see. And with me is Dan Delzell. Dan is a pastor at a church, Redeemer Church in Papillion, Nebraska. I am Son Edom. And Dan, you know, one of the things that has come up in our conversation recently was to take a look at something in the Old Testament in Genesis something that I don't think a whole lot or too many people really delve into. I know when I was doing some study on it and some research, there wasn't really a whole lot out there on it. But that is the, the Nephilim, or the Nephilim, the, uh, the giants, so to speak, the big people that were back around the time of Noah and the ark. And Nephilim, and the Nephilim, like what are they? Who are these people, and where do they come from, and who are the sons of God, and the the daughters of man. And, you know, it's in Genesis six is really where it comes from and where it stems from. And as you read the passage, you know, you, you take a look at what it's talking about there, you know, and it says, and it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they were fair, and they took them wives, all of whom they chose. That's in Genesis 6, 1 and 2. And then in Genesis 6, 4, it talks about they were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. And when the sons of God came into and unto the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, the same became mighty men who were old men of renown. And so you look at this passage of Scripture when it goes from Genesis and Genesis 6. I guess it's actually uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 is the whole context. But when you take a look at it, it's kind of like, you know, Genesis is cruising along and then throws in this nugget of who are these people? The Nephilim, sons of God, daughters of men. And then it revisits it, I think, in um, maybe Numbers and, you know, so it's, it's very limited, basically, in, in Scripture as to what exactly is going on and who these people are and what it's about. And like I said, when I was doing some research on it and trying to figure out who Nephilim are and what this whole thing is about, there really wasn't a whole lot of trusted sites. And so that's what we thought we could talk about today. And just as we get the conversation started, you know, being a pastor for many, many, many years, uh, have you had much study? Have you much had uh, sermons, things like that on who Nephilim are and what their purpose was? Yeah, you know, Son, probably the most study I've done was for a, a recent message when I was uh, preaching in Genesis. I, I've never really dug very deeply into it before that, but I learned some very interesting things and, and, and some things that a lot of uh, Bible students and Bible scholars have, have come to believe about these verses um, when digging into them. I mean, I guess we should say at the outset, I mean, this is not a foundational teaching of the Bible that's going to affect anyone's salvation, uh, regardless of how they come down on this issue with their own personal view. Uh, but having said that, there, there are uh, some real insights in the Bible that help us to understand some of the things I think that are going on here. Um, and and you, you read how the sons of God saw that the daughter, daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. So we know the daughters of men, uh, you know, is referring to, uh, to females, uh, human females. But who are the sons of God? Now, it's interesting that that Hebrew uh, term there, that phrase, that term there, sons of God, uh, in the Hebrew son, it's B'nai Elohim, B'nai Elohim, sons of God. And it's only used four or five times in the entire Old Testament. Um, Three of those son are in the book of Job. 
And most scholars believe that the book of Job is actually the oldest uh, Bible or oldest book in the Bible. You know, uh, most of us might assume Genesis would be the oldest book. Well, Genesis comes first uh, in the order of books, but most scholars believe that the Job was written first. And in the book of Job, uh, B'nai Elohim shows up three times uh, there in Job. For example, in Job 1.6, it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. So the angels, uh, B'nai Elohim, uh, came uh, to present themselves before the Lord. And then in Job 2.1, the same uh, thing happens. On another day, the angels, B'nai Elohim, came to present themselves to the Lord. Uh, and then there's a passage in Job 38 where uh, the Lord is, is answering Job now uh, out of the storm. You know, Job had been questioning God, and, and then God says from here, who is this that, you know, darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Uh, brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Um, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Uh, who stretched the measuring line across it? On, on what were its footings set? Uh, uh, and or, or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together? So, so, so the, the the stars, the planets, while the morning stars sang together, and all the angels, uh, B'nai Elohim, shouted for joy. So God is saying to Job, "Where were you when I was putting, you know, the earth, uh, laying out the earth and the universe and all the stars, and the angels were shouting for joy?" Now, why that's so important, son, is because then what? When we go back to Genesis six. When it says the sons of God and the daughters of men were marrying uh, one another, and and then um, we see that the product of that were the Nephilim. You know, another uh, way to, to describe Nephilim is just, uh, as you said, giants, okay? And, and so they were the heroes of old, men of renown. Um, so this was a phenomenon going on there, and what... What, what is believed to be happening here, Son, is that these are fallen angels, not, not holy angels, because this was not God's design that, that, that angelic beings would come and have sexual uh, relationships with women and, and marry women. Um, what, what, what many um, uh, Bible-believing folks have, have interpreted this to mean is that, is that this was some sort of demonic attempt to not only disrupt God's plan for marriage between a man and a woman, um, and, 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 how, and to interject themselves into a place that God never designed for angels, but that, um, but, but that this was also uh, something where because they did that, that they ended up combining what you might call demonic DNA with human DNA, and the result was not something that God would have, um, would have wanted, but he allowed that to happen. And, and so giants were, were the result of that. And um, as, we, as we go through this today, Son, it's going to shed a lot of light on a couple passages in the New Testament um, as it relates to some demonic beings and where they're at today and why they're, why they're there today. But I think just to get us started today, um, that is, um, that, that's kind of just the foundational understanding that, that many Christians today would have of the Nephilim, that they were the giants, they were the offspring of um, fallen angels and women, and um, that while it was not God's plan, it was not God's will, um, they went against the Lord's plan, 
And um, we're going to see God respond to that, I believe, in a couple of these New Testament passages. But, but that just kind of lays some of the groundwork, I think, for, for the Nephilim and, and, and where that whole thing uh, fits into the story of, of God's people there in Genesis. Now, like I said, I really hadn't focused too much on them. I know uh, when I worked at a, uh, in fact, the radio station where you and I first originally met, there was uh, somebody, a gal that was kind of big into Nephilim for some reason. It was like, I don't know if it was like her her pet, like, biblical thing that she would like to research or whatever, but she'd kind of talk about it. But outside of that, I never really heard too much about it, so I never really paid much attention to it. And so I started doing some research and, ta- and looking through, you know, resources and, and passages and so forth. And so um, there are basically three things. So to backtrack, like you said, uh, the sons of God were fallen angels. Yes. Okay, so I did come across that. I came across that as kind of the 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 main or the the most popular, I guess, if you can say yeah. that, as far as yeah. what they are. Yeah. But then there's also another line of thought that I like to throw out there and just kind of kind of get your thoughts on. Sure. Um, so another area was that the sons of God were the men that came from the line of Seth, and so then the daughters were the line of Cain. So you had an intermixing of Seth and Cain, yeah. meaning they were earthly people, but the yeah. but because Seth was considered, I guess, a son of God, you know, in the in the because yeah. Seth was from Adam and Adam was in the image of God, mm-hmm. and so yeah. some people believe that. And then the other one was that they're from the the dynasty of Lamech, and Lamech was a descendant, I guess, of Cain. So that kind of puts some kind of earthly spin onto it. So, and these sure. were the, kind of like the three sure. three most popular views, which like mm-hmm. the one you said, which the fallen angels being the, the most popular, if you want to put it that way, the top answer on the board, so to speak. Um, yeah. But what about the other two? I mean, is there credence to that? Is that something that is, um, I mean, could it be that the daughters of men, which we all know are the human daughters of, hum- of you know, yeah. humans, you know, they're, they're, they're not the angels. Yeah. Um, are those anybody? Are they descendants of a certain line? Yeah. Could it be an, a, any yeah. you know female human that was on the earth? I mean, is that even yeah. important? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, son, yes. As you say, I mean, there are folks who, uh, who hold um, you know, either of those views, those, uh, that second or that third view, um, with, with Seth and Lamech. Uh, now, as I, as I seek to understand what, what's being said there in Genesis 6, you know, I, I go to one of the most important hermeneutical principles, one of the most important principles of biblical interpretation that we have, and that would be that Scripture interprets Scripture, so that we never just pull one verse out and seek to, to, to make some big doctrinal statement or teaching out of it. But if possible, we, 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 we find other Scripture passages that can help us to interpret um, maybe something that's a little more difficult. Um, and, and, and as I look at Scripture, son, uh, and this is why I say it, it certainly is no, not, not a major teaching of the Bible. It, it's not even hardly a secondary doctrine of the Bible, but it is in the Bible. And I think we're going to see one of the reasons that it's in the Bible is, is because it, it's going to teach us how God responds to disobedience, either of the angelic kind or of the human kind. And, and we're going to see those linked together when we get to, um, to Jude and Peter. But, um, to answer your question, um, I mean, there are those who, who, who would go with the, the, the Seth interpretation uh, or Lamech interpretation, but why I believe that sons of God 
does indeed refer to angels is because of how clearly B'nai Elohim in the book of Job, uh, you know, re- refers to angels. There's no, no disputing that. And I don't find other times in the Old Testament where that phrase is being used uh, in, in any other way than, than to refer to angels. So for me, there's not a lot of biblical material to go on, but there's enough that, um, that to me, it, it, um, it, it seems quite clear in my thinking anyway, uh, based on scripture, that it would be referring to angels. And, and then the other question we have to answer, I think, Son, with those other views is this. Okay, so if it's one of these other human beings, how do we account for um, the, the, the Nephilim? How do we account for um, their spies? How do we account for the fact that, that these were not, you know, ordinary uh, human beings? Um, in, in fact, um, in Numbers 13, you know, when, when, the, when the spies had gone to check out Canaan, uh, they came back, they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. Uh, and then it says the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. So did the daughters of men get together with, um, you know, Seth, his descendants, uh, you know, Lamech, you know, and so forth? Or did they get together with fallen angels to then produce these, these giants? Now, it's interesting that the Bible does tell us that these giants were destroyed by the Israelites uh, during their invasion of Canaan. And, and, and we see this son in Joshua 11, um, 21 and 22. We see this later in their history in Deuteronomy 3. Um, and, and we learn about a giant there. Interestingly, Og, who was the king of Bashan, he had a bed, son. This king had a bed made of iron, and the bed was over 13 feet long and 6 feet wide. So uh, Og, the king of Bashan, was, was one of these giants in those days. Now, was he 11 feet tall? Was he 12 feet tall? I mean, I mean, I don't know. Think about your own bed and how long your bed is. How long, you know, how tall do you have to be to need a 13-foot-long bed and a 6-foot-wide bed? And then, of course, 1 Samuel 17 tells us uh, of, of Goliath, you know, the giant Goliath being uh, defeated by, by David. So, um, you know... I, I personally believe that that the interpretation sons of God uh, equals equals fallen angels is is the right one. Um, I, I I think that there was this mixture of this demonic I'll call it DNA with human genetics. Um, and you know some people wonder well then what about after the flood because you know the flood came then uh, in response to man's sin and and you know the Nephilim were part of that whole um, bad scene going on really. But Genesis six four tells us. Um, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, you know, so, so after the flood. And so it seems, Son, that, you know, the demons repeated their sins sometime after the flood as well, but it likely took place to a much lesser extent than it did uh, prior to the flood. And, and one of the reasons for that we're going to get to, Son, when we get to the New Testament passages in Jude 1 and Second Peter 2, we're going to see why um, I think it would have occurred to a much lesser extent and, and why it eventually would have come to an end um, of, of, of this practice of fallen angels, um, uh, you know, marrying uh, the daughters of men and having sexual relations. And I think we're going to see why they stopped doing that 
um, when, when we get to the New Testament. But, but yeah, that, that's, that's how I would, I guess, uh, answer your question about, um, you know, those other interpretations. And I would certainly say that, you know, this is one of those areas where, where Christians would simply agree to, to disagree if there's somebody who thinks that it's referring to descendants of Seth and so forth. Well, you know, it's not going to affect a, a person's faith uh, really in any way uh, if that happens to be their view on this. Now, according to tradition, from what I was able to kind of gather up, I guess you can say, back then you might be looking at somebody, Moses, or not Moses, Noah, and maybe the people of the time, you know, they were trying to correlate height to today, which was which was hard to do because, like, you know, they talk about a cubic. You know, you talk about in the Bible a cubic, which they measured out Noah's Ark in cubic. And it was like, okay, what's a cubic today? And then as I was doing some research, there was different lengths when it compares to a cubic because there was different parts of the country after the Tower of Babel and everyone split, you know, definitions kind of started to change. And so like a foot was no longer maybe a foot, but maybe a foot and an inch, you know, whatever. So it was kind of really hard to tell. But tradition seems to put it that, you know, maybe in Noah's time, people were about five feet tall on the average. And the Nephilim, might be, you know, six and a half, seven feet to give people kind of an idea of what some traditional historical documents kind of say it. Others have put it that I've seen to the extreme that the Nephilim were like 300 cubic feet, which means they'd be like 450 feet tall. Um, not that, and this is really more of a point of curiosity for me. Is there any, yeah, anything yeah. research-wise that, that gives you an indication of just actually how tall these people? Because I think of David and Goliath, you know, when, when, when we get the yeah. Sunday school version of David and Goliath, I'm thinking, you know, this small little boy mm-hmm. going up against yeah. this, you know, 10, 12-foot dude. Um, yeah. And so yeah. are Nephilim 6 feet, 12 feet, 450 feet? I mean, when we're talking about size of giants, because cause yeah. I think the, the, the importance of why I want to know, I'll reveal, but it has to do with the way I think – the the way people on earth might have been acting at the time and i'll explain in a minute but if you have any idea on like how tall these people actually were well again so i guess i would i would go back to um you know i think one, one of the key passages i would look at would be that that passage there in uh in Deuter in deuteronomy um you know where where uh and i'm gonna i'm gonna pull that up here because when when we think about um Og, you know, king king of Bashan, you know, and and when it when it gives the uh, uh, when it gives the measurement um, there on his bed, uh, to me that that would be that that's an interesting an interesting reference there in in the Bible um, there in uh, let's see in, in Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy three uh, and and verse uh, eleven. Um, and, and and so um you know i i, I don't know i i guess um you know everybody everybody's going to have maybe a little different take on just what exactly the size would be um and yeah and i was you just know, I, I, yeah i was yeah. just kind of curious because um again it's that's not important to the to the grand scheme of things sure sure but i was just kind of curious because and here's the important thing that it comes down to, and 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 if I could transition to this point. At the time, there was something going on, and whatever it is that was going on, regardless of who they were and what size they were, no matter what the point was, there was something evil and wicked going on, so much so that to the point God looked down and said, I need to destroy this. 
I need to end this. And so he looks among the people and he finds one righteous person, Noah. And so he tells Noah to build an ark. Now, up until this point, there's been no rain. I don't even know if people understand what rain is. So he's telling people about this coming flood. People are laughing, mocking at him. He builds this great ark, which at one point along my journey, someone kind of a seventh grade Bible, uh, Bible teacher kind of showed us that it was probably the size of a football field, maybe bigger, depending on that cubic thing. Um, but it was pretty sizable. And then it talked about having three decks. It talks about, you know, the doors, the windows, you know, and it goes into what happened then. The floods came, wiped out everybody except for Noah and his family and the animals that were on the ark. So the whole idea from my perspective when I was studying this was that whatever was going on, God looked at these at this and he was like, this is no good. And so, you know, when you're dealing with people, no matter what it is, it goes back to the heart. And the reason why I was kind of curious about the size was because, you know, oftentimes we yeah. look at people, you know, with size and stature as, as people of, you know, the conquest. And, and, and it doesn't matter because ultimately it comes down to the heart and how we think on the heart and what our heart is like. And God's going to judge accordingly. And so he saw his creation and it wasn't good. And he decided right. to, to wipe it out and be like, you know, right. this is no good. And so could you imagine just what type of, of evil, what type of wickedness must have been going on at that time for God to decide that this needs to go? Well, yeah, I mean, there was, there was this terrible wickedness, and, and it was terribly offensive to the Lord's son. And, and uh, you know, um, I mean, just going back for a second, and, and we could do the same thing with the ark, but going back for a second just to Ah, uh, uh, king of Bashan, you know, his bed, I mean, you know, when the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, you know, it's nine cubits long and four cubits wide, and, and, and a cubit is one and a half feet. So, so um, I mean, we have, in the Hebrew um, text, we have the actual length of, of, of his bed. I mean, to me, that is a real good indicator, Son, um, when you ask the question, you know, I mean, I mean, when people say, well, were they 450 feet? Because I, I had read that, too. It's like, well, where, where are you getting that in Scripture? Um, where would you ever get in scripture that, I mean, because a, a cubit is, is one and a half foot. So if you're going to go with the Hebrew text, then I, I would say it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's clear that um, this king, Og, uh, that his bed was 13 feet long. And, and, and so, um, you know, were, were there Nephilim who were 11, 12 feet? I mean, um, there are skeletons. I mean, it's not, not all skeletons on the Internet, of course, but on are genuine. But but there are some skeletons of some giants that have been uncovered that um, uh, you know people point to as as evidence of some size. I mean, there's some uh, pr you know pretty amazing photos. But again, not 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 to go with that even as much as just scripture on it. Um, but 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 I think you're you're really kind of pointing on to the to the most important thing here, and, and that is that regardless of the the size of these giants. Um, you know, we, we, we know that they, they had to be significantly taller than the Israelites for, for, for the, the spies to come back and say, we seem like grasshoppers, you know? So um, we may not, it's just like a lot of the questions we might have about the universe or certain things in the Bible. We may not have exact answers that meet all of our curiosities, but, but we have enough to address what you're addressing there, son, and that is, why would God wipe? the people other than knowing his family off the face of the earth. And why would God um, be upset 
at what um, these sons of God were, were, were doing with um, the daughters of men. And, and, and so in my, in my recent message there on, on Genesis, son, what that led me to then were, were, these, were these two passages in the New Testament that deal with what you're talking about, you know, the wickedness, um, but they also deal with the punishment um, for, <laughs> excuse me, for these demons. In Jude 1, um, well, first of all, yeah, let me start there. In Jude 1, 6 and 7, it says, The angels who did not keep their own domain but abandon their proper dwelling place. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. And I'll say a few things about that, but let me read the next verse, because then the Lord links that he compares what happened to these demons to what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah when he says, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So what, what, what Jude is saying is that just as Sodom and Gomorrah willingly gave themselves up to sexual immorality, so also these demons did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper dwelling place. Now, now, son, there are some Christians who believe, and I've always kind of tended to just hold this view, that we're not just somehow talking about, you know, the fact that, you know, demons are eternally doomed and they're going to be sent to the eternal fire and they've been, you know, defeated by Jesus at the cross. And I believe all of that firmly, but I always kind of wondered, but why would it talk about these angels being kept in darkness because, because, uh, and, and being bound with everlasting chains right now for judgment, and that is awaiting judgment day? Because as I read the New Testament, I see a lot of demons who aren't, they're not locked up in some dark dungeon. You know, they're, they're not locked up in, in what uh, Peter, then the other passage here, Peter describes, as, as a uh, one of the, you might even say, level of hell, um, it says in Second Peter 2, 4, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. And now, now that's so fascinating, Son, because I, I've always read it and I thought, wait a minute, how can demons be in hell right now if they're out possessing people, if they're out tempting Christians, if they're out stirring up all manner of, of mischief and wickedness? But what's interesting is that many Bible students and Bible scholars have linked these passages I just read with the Genesis 6 passage on the Nephilim. And I'll tell you, Son, it fits perfectly when you look at, for example, the Greek word here for hell in 1 Peter 2.4. The Greek word for hell there is Tartarus, Tartarus, um, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S, Tartarus, okay? Now, why that's so interesting is because Tartarus is basically the deepest abyss of Hades. Okay, um, it's interesting when the rich man in Luke 16 um, was in hell and is still in hell. Um, the Greek word is Hades. Okay, is, is Hades. Um, when, when, when Jesus said, um, "Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body only, but cannot kill uh, body and soul. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell." That passage there is referring to um, the, the Greek word there for hell is Gehenna. Yet another aspect of, of hell, that, that, that's thought of more as the eternal fire, um, Gehenna, uh, the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where the fire never went out. So, so why these three um, different words, Greek words, all translated hell in our English Bible? Why Hades? Why Gehenna? Why Tartarus? And why San is Tartarus? Only used one time in the New Testament. Only here. Uh, does Peter use that word? And he describes this as this, this deep, dark abyss, abyss where these fallen angels 
are bound with everlasting chains because they abandoned their proper dwelling place, the realm of angels. They, they, they came and they took on the form of human beings, um, which we know angels are, are capable of doing. I mean, we know from Scripture angels are capable of doing that. I mean, you know, when, when the angels showed up in Sodom and, and came to Lot's home, um, they, the, the folks in the, in, in the, uh, the city, they, they thought they were men. In fact, they, 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 they came and they pounded on Lot's door and, and they said, hey, send those uh, two men who came to your house uh, out to us so we can have sex with them. Um, so they, they were in the form of angels, but they were, I'm sorry, in the form of men, but they were angels. So these Nephilim, abandoned their own domain. They abandoned the, the, the angelic realm. And, and I've never understood, really, uh, what, what Jude and Peter are talking about, because all you have to do, Son, is look at, at, at how the demons in the New Testament are, um, are out possessing people. And, and, uh, and before we're done today, I'll, I'll share a passage in Luke that, 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 that will, will show us just how terrified demons are going to Tartarus how terrified they are of going into that, that abyss. But, um, uh, but, but, but for right now, I'll just leave it at this point that, that, that Jude and Peter reflect greatly upon Genesis. Here we go again, Scripture interprets Scripture. And now it makes total sense when you read those passages. See, it's not all angels that right now are bound with everlasting chains in a dark dungeon somewhere, okay, in the deep abyss. Only those, I believe, who have been sent there um, because of their abandoning their own domain, I believe God sent um, those sons of God, those, those fallen angels. And I tell you, son, I think they were put up to it by their uh, by their master, Satan. I think ultimately it was it was Satan's plot. Maybe he was trying to you know circumvent the coming of the Messiah, trying to inject demonic DNA into the bloodline. You know who knows? But you know Satan's very good at trying to counterfeit marriage. He's very good at trying to come up with a new plan for marriage. We see that in our day. Um, God's design for man and a woman in marriage. I mean, way back then, way back in Genesis, demons were perverting God's plan for marriage by saying, hey, we can go. We can have sex with these women. Um, and I think they were put up to, put up to it by the devil. Um, I think now, um, oh, and one last point, son. So picture taking on a human form. Um, so now picture not being able to go back into the angelic realm. Once you have abandoned your own domain, you can't go back, but instead God sends you to a prison. It's a very deep, dark prison in the deepest place of Hades. And, and imagine now having a literal chain, uh, attached to your, that, that, that body, that, the form that you took on. I mean, I really, um, am of the view, son, that, that those, those beings, that, that those sons of God, that, that, interacted and had sexual union with the, the, the women, the daughters of men. I believe they are literally chained there in Tartarus today. I believe that's what the text teaches. Um, it makes total sense when you read Jude and Peter now that some angels are there. Some angels, some demons, I should say, some fallen angels are there. Um, but there are plenty of other demons who are terrified of being sent there, who are still out working in the world, possessing certain people, um, and, uh, by the way, I heard somebody say recently, I never thought about this son, that, that if you're an unbeliever, you, you need to really be careful because you are, you are a candidate for demonic possession. If, if you're not, I mean, if you don't have God living within you through faith in Christ, you could be at some point, um, possessed by the devil. Christians cannot be possessed by the devil. He can oppress us, but he can't possess us. And, um, but, but, but there are demons in the world today who are not yet in Tartarus 
But before we're done today, I'll read there in Luke, and we'll see how terrified demons are of being sent there. And that's why I think I think that's a major reason why demons no longer come and and uh, you know have sexual relationships with women, because I think if they did, uh, they would also be sent to Tartarus. Um, uh, you know, b- before Judgment Day, while the demons who are there right now, I believe Scripture teaches they're there awaiting Judgment Day. I believe they're chained there in Tartarus; they can't leave. And um, to me, that's a beautiful example of how the Old Testament and the New Testament help to interpret one another. You know, as I was thinking about this, we often get the Sunday school version of, oh, Satan fell from heaven and, you know, now he's a bad dude and he's running around. But when you mm-hmm. take a look at this, you know, and you take a look at these demons and you take a look yeah. at people, you know, in the abyss, the lower, the deepest abyss yeah. of Hades, yeah. chain, yeah. you know, it, it kind of. And 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 you talks about you know um, they left what was it they left their their heavenly realm they left their place they they, they, their they left their proper place. domain yeah, yeah okay. their proper domain so, so their just, angelic realm so just think about I don't even know if we can comprehend the seriousness of just yeah. exactly the revolt that they that happened the what 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 in order to because we turn from God, we sin, and for the wages of sin is death, and there's punishment, and there's consequences for our sin. We all know that, you know. Mm-hmm. But imagine what these heavenly beings, mm-hmm. you know, what it is that they must have gone through to be up there with God and then to be like, I'm out of here, and to revolt against him and to, you know, go down and then wreak havoc amongst his creation. And so the, you know, the wrath of God, I mean, it sounds like, you know, God has a little bit of restraint on us right now until judgment day, you know, he's kind of like, okay, you know, you're sinning, you're doing your thing, but I'm going to have restraint against you. My justice and my mercy will come later. But it's like with these, these beings, it's like he just unleashed his wrath upon them to send them to the deepest abyss of Hades. And so their sin, although, you know, could be, and I'm just speculating here, so don't take it for gospel, could be so, so grievous towards mm-hmm. Jesus or towards God that he's like, I'm dealing with this now and taking care of it well, now. Yeah, yes, son, yes. And, and I'll tell you what's interesting about Jude 1 and Second Peter 2, okay? Um, I always assumed when it says the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper dwelling place, and I always assumed that was referring to when um, a third of the angels went with Satan at the fall of, of, of the angels. But I no longer look at it quite that way, okay? Um, I believe what this is teaching, this is describing something that happened after that. Because you see, um, when, 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 Satan, when Satan left heaven, it wasn't so much that he left, he got kicked out of heaven. You know, this verse says the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper dwelling place. Okay, what I think this is talking about is not the angels that got kicked out of heaven with Satan, but rather the angels who left the proper dwelling place of the angelic realm, where even though they were had, had rebelled against God, they were already kicked out of heaven, but they were in that angelic realm. They weren't operating in the world as, you know, in the form of human beings. They were, they were in their own domain. And it's interesting, it says they abandoned their proper dwelling place. And, and when I think about a third of the angels getting kicked out of heaven, to me, that's not them abandoning it. That's them being sent out of it. And, and, um, and, and the other thing that, to me that fits with that is when it says God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell. So here's the thing, Simon. 
okay? Well, where I always kind of didn't quite, you know, I wasn't able to really wrap my mind around that is, no, wait a minute. So a third of the angels sinned along with, um, along with Satan. They, they sinned, okay? Um, but but, but if, this is, if this is talking about that, then, then how are they in gloomy dungeons today being held for judgment when they're out possessing people and they're out doing this and that? So I believe this is saying when they, I believe this is pointing to Genesis. When, when it says when they sinned, that is when they, uh, when the sons of God had sexual relations with the daughters of men. That is what I believe is their sin. Now, could, could there be some other sins as well that, that, that they were, um, that may, maybe w- w- would send demons to hell? Um, well, the Bible doesn't seem to tell us that. I mean, we, we, we know that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, so they're going to spend eternity in the eternal fire. But I, I, to me, these verses, now they make sense to me when I understand the connection between this and Genesis, be, because I see now that the angels, that, that in addition to their rebellion, in addition to their following Satan, they sinned by having sexual relations with the daughters of men, and they were sent to hell. Because here's the thing, son, nothing in Scripture that I find teaches that Satan is in hell today. You know, in Revelation, it talks about um, the city where Satan has his throne in one of the churches there. Um, you know, Satan is the god of this age. Nothing in the Bible, you know, we have this kind of this popular idea that, well, Satan's ruling down in hell and blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't find that in Scripture. He will be thrown in like a burning sulfur to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20, verse 10 tells us that. But I don't believe he's there now. Um, he has his throne, at least, in, uh, you know, back in Jesus' day, he had it in Pergamum. Um, he, he has his throne there uh, in that city, whatever that means, in that angelic realm. Um, but, but these angels are not in the world today. They are now in hell. They are now uh, chained in darkness. And to me, it just all makes sense when you see um, this. And, and when it compares it to Sodom and Gomorrah, um, here's another reason um, that, that, that I think it's so powerful, is, is it shows that you cannot rebel against God's plan. You know, you can't rebel against his plan of salvation. You can't rebel against his plan for marriage. You cannot rebel against God's plan without experiencing um, the punishment that comes when you rebel against God. And that's what happened to the fallen angels. Um, that's what happened to those in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what's going to happen to people today who, as it says in Romans, are storing up wrath for themselves, you know. And, uh, and, and, and so I just think it's, it's very interesting, Son, when we combine all of these passages, both in Genesis and Jude and First Peter, um, and, and we see what happened to those fallen angels um, when they sinned, and, 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 and they've now been locked up with everlasting chains in, in the deepest, this dark abyss in Hades. You know, the other thing that I found interesting in studying this is that you talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. So back yeah. in Noah's time, God wanted to destroy the earth. His heart was filled with pain. He was grieved, but he found favor in Noah, one guy, and yeah. spared him and his family. So one guy, then you go to Sodom and Gomorrah and there was, what was it? Abraham pleading with God. If I find 50, you know, will you spare? If I find, you know, 20 or whatever, he's bartering, bartering. If I find 10, Hey, 10. Um, and ultimately God, you know, send those angels to get lot out of there. And so lot, his wife, and his two daughters leave. Well, then what happens? Lot's wife disobeys, turns back and looks and becomes a pillar of salt. 
right. later on, uh, Lot's daughters get their father drunk, have sex with them, conceive. And so basically, it became again at Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, one guy. Yeah. And, and yeah. One, one, one righteous person, so to speak. And, and, yeah. and it's funny how, like you say that. So you have the giants, you know, David and Goliath. You have the Nephilim. You have, you know, the, the spies that went out in Canaan and saw these big people. You know, it didn't matter. God defeated them. And then you look at, um, you know, what was it, um, Ishmael. When Ishmael came along, his descendants became, you know, a thorn in the side of Israel outside God's plan. When you look at uh, Lot's, I guess, kids, you know, kid, grandkid, uh, kind of a crazy lineage there, um, you have the Moabites and the Ammonites. And so you have, again, another curse to Israel. These people became enemies outside of God's plan. And so you start to see that really – the righteous and the righteousness of, of, of people could be could be smaller than what we think or the importance of what righteousness truly is and then just how bad it gets when we go outside of God's plan because some of these things that yeah. happened that went outside of God's plan, A, in Noah's time, he destroyed them yeah. with the flood, or B, they yeah. became an eternal yeah. curse to the, to the children of Israel because you developed yeah. these you know, other people that became enemies. Yeah. And so, you know, the yeah. significance between these stories goes, you know, pretty deep when you start looking, you know, kind of like Bible yeah. interpreting Bible, Scripture interpreting Scripture. When you start to put these pieces together, you really start to see this, the, the seriousness, the severity, and the things yeah. that, it, it, that are really going on. And there's a yeah. pattern there. The, and the pattern is, you know, righteous people, God finds favor and spares. Yeah. Um, you know, Enoch walked with God and then was gone, you know. Um, and then you have what the world would perceive as, you know, these big, powerful people who's going to defeat the giants, right? David definitely, you know, Goliath mocked him and yet God defeated them. And so it's just kind of interesting to me. I found it fascinating. Yeah. We start putting these things together that, you know, the only thing that matters again, goes back to the heart, you know, the heart of man. And so outside of that, right. if you're not in God's plan, there's going to be yeah. destruction there where there's going to be, you know. Uh, damnation there's going to be an end a terrible end to you if you follow god's plan you know he will and then ultimately you end up in heaven but he will take care of you 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 he will protect the righteous you know it's not going to be anything easy here on earth as we found but you know we look to all eternity and i just find it interesting how you know when you talk about the righteous god found favor and then something yeah. extraordinary happens. And I think he can find favor in us today. It might not be the extraordinary thing like sparing us from a flood, although it could be the flood right. of life, you know, a pandemic we just right. went through. It could be a flood of health issues that he spares us. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But it just it yeah. just reminds yeah. us that when we're in yeah. God's plan, he finds favor in us, and things tend to be good. When we go outside yeah. of that plan, no matter who we are, things yeah. tend to be bad. And you know, son, I think that's the whole point also with the Lord telling us what happened to these, uh, to these fallen angels. I think it's why, you know, um, you know, Jude, for example, uh, says, you know, in a similar way, after telling us what the angels, what happened to them uh, in a similar way then about Sodom and Gomorrah, it's why Peter says, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell. So see, if God's going to send um some, you know, some of his angels, I mean, the ones he created, holy, but then they, they, they fell, 
They fell. They, they followed Lucifer. And then some even went deeper in, into depravity, if that were possible, by uh, marrying the daughters of men. But God sent them to hell, okay? And so the message of the Bible is um, don't be deceived. Don't think God won't send you to hell if you are not righteous in his eyes, if you are evil in his eyes. And the Bible teaches us the only thing that can cover our evil wickedness is the white robe of Christ's righteousness that he earned for us when he died on the cross. The only thing that can cover our sin is the blood of Jesus when we believe in Jesus as our Savior. Um, so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you're not afraid of, of going to hell like those fallen angels are now locked up in Tartarus, if you're not afraid of going there, you know, just, you know, ignoring God and, and ignoring uh, God's gift of salvation and just ignoring your sin against him. Um, the Bible says you should be because look what he's already done. Uh, you know, it's not just that angels are going to go to hell forever because all of the evil angels will. The good angels, of course, will be with us in heaven, the holy angels. But but it's that he's already sent some of them to hell. Um, and, and so even their rebellion, God is using Son to teach people about um, the fact that the wicked um, are punished and that hell is real. Um, Tartarus is a real place. Gehenna is a real place. Hades is a real place. You know, I, I, I refer to Hades sometimes as like the county jail of hell. You know, in Revelation, it, it says that the death in Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. But right now there are people in Hades. You know, I, I mentioned the, the rich man in Luke 16. Um, he is in Hades right now, but he's not gone before the judge yet. Um, none of us have. Um, those angels who are being held in Tartarus, um, it, it says they are bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So you know where they're going to go from Tartarus? They're going to go before the judge, and then they're going to be sent into the eternal fire. So it won't get any better for them. Um, but this is why the demons in, in Luke chapter 8, um, when Jesus came across a demon-possessed man, this is why, son, they were so terrified. Uh, because Jesus asked this man, he said, what is your name? And these demons inside of him, they said, Legion, uh, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they, that is the demons, begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Now, that's very interesting, son. Why would they beg Jesus not to order um, them to go into the abyss if they were already in the abyss? Well, obviously, those demons aren't. Those are not um, among those fallen angels who are currently held in everlasting chains in Tartarus. These are demons who are doomed. Um, they have no hope of ever getting to heaven, but they, they, they beg Jesus not to have them go there um, any sooner than, than they have to. And so we're told that a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So um, we're not told what happened to the demons after the pigs drowned, but it doesn't appear that they were sent to Tartarus to join their their uh, their comrades down there, um, at least not yet. Uh, and then one last thing, in Matthew's account of this story, um, the demons say to Jesus, what do you want with us, son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? So we see, son, even the demons know the appointed time is coming when, when they will be um, eternally judged. They, they, they will be uh, no longer able to go about this world, um, you know, possessing people. Um, they will have their day of judgment. They will be like their master, Satan. Um, they will be thrown into the lake of, of, of burning fire, of burning sulfur, um, of, of everlasting fire. And, and this song, along with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah and the great flood, 
and so many other stories in the Bible, it's intended to warn man that, that he must get right with God. He must be in a good place with God. He must be righteous in God's eyes. And when we read the Bible, especially the New Testament, we, we, we come to learn, Son, there is no one good. There's no one righteous. No, not one. Meaning we've all sinned. We all have broken God's laws. None of us, none of us can be declared righteous by our own actions. It's only through faith in Christ that just shall live by faith. Um, that was actually the verse that, um, uh, through which Martin Luther was born again after having been a Catholic for his whole life. Uh, he was a monk even, um, but he wasn't saved. He wasn't justified. He wasn't redeemed. He wasn't born again. He wasn't forgiven. Well, he'd been baptized in the next and he'd been raised in the Catholic Church, but he did not have God living inside him. He did not trust Christ alone as his Savior. He was religious. Just like maybe someone right now, Son, who's listening to this, maybe they're religious, but, but maybe um, they're relying on their works to get into heaven rather than on the cross. And, and that would be now, my friend, where, where you have the opportunity today to call upon the Lord, to trust in him, not your religious deeds, um, to bring your sin to the Lord. Because you, there's still time for you. You know, there's not time for those fallen angels in Tartarus. They're never going to have an opportunity. Um, there's not time for any demon. Um, they made their decision, and God's not giving them any opportunity. Um, there, there's not time for that rich man from Luke 16 who's in Hades today. Um, there's no time for him. He, he, he will never again have an opportunity to repent. But you and I do. You and I today, who are still breathing, who are still alive, we can learn from these stories. And I tell you, we ignore them to our peril. We ignore them to our own damnation. Um, but if we heed them, if we repent and believe the good news, um, we are saved then by the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. So will you do that today, my friend? Just call on the Lord. If you're not sure whether you're a Christian or not, call on the Lord. Um, if you know you're not a Christian, call on the Lord and ask him to forgive you. And, and, and just tell him you don't want to go the way Satan and the demons went. You want to go the way God wants you to go. And just give him your heart today, and, and he will apply the blood of Jesus to your soul as you trust in Christ as your Savior through faith. And, and you'll never be the same, and heaven will be your home. You won't have to worry about hell or these, these things that the demons, uh, that's all they have to, to, to look ahead to. That's, all, that's why they're so terrified. That's why they beg Jesus, don't send us into the abyss. You know, demons are terrified of, of Jesus. And, and, and if you get the sense that demons are running the show, my friend, they're not. Um, Jesus is running the show. So ask the blood of Jesus to protect your sleep at night. If you have any nightmares, um, he'll do it. But more importantly, ask Jesus to cover your soul with the blood that he shed on the cross to forgive your sins. And then your eternity won't become a nightmare. You know, uh, a nightmare at night is bad enough, but a nightmare for eternity, you never, you never stop living that bad dream. So um, call on the Lord today. Um, that's the message of Noah, of Genesis, of, of these demons, these angels, and everything that we're talking about here today. And uh, you'll be glad that you did. I can't help but think just how, how evil or how how bad it was for them that God does not give them a chance to repent. You know, you think about that. It must have been something so egregious, something so outrageous, you know, so yeah. evil. You know, you think about that. And it's like you yeah. look at things here on earth, Dan, and we think, you know, how is it that, okay, in the day of Noah, it got so bad with the wickedness that went on that God destroyed it with the flood. You look at Lot yeah. and things that went on there. And God destroyed it with, you know, fire and brimstone. And you look at the world today, 
and and back then, you know, I guess you had one righteous man in Noah, one righteous yeah. man in Lot. You know, four people left Sodom and Gomorrah. That was it. I mean, yeah. is it gotten to the point where we're not as bad today as those places? I mean, I can't think of of sometimes I can't think of the world being more evil than what it is today at times. Um, but is it was it really that worse back then, or is it just now we're under a different time and eventually that punishment of the flood and that punishment of you know the the Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, is is that coming? Obviously, it is, but I, but you know, yeah, it's almost yeah. like how bad could it have been for God to make a discernment? Just like these angels, okay, you have the angels that got kicked out of heaven with Lucifer, a third of them, but then and they're still roaming around. But then you have these others that are like bound in the deepest abyss of Hades, you know. So obviously there's something there that has caused God to react in judgment on on people, yeah. on, on these entities, instead yeah. of waiting until, you know, Jesus to die on the cross to give us a chance, you know. Because, again, we're all destined to die and be, you know, damned for all eternity. But God yeah. gave us a chance with Jesus dying on the cross. But for yeah. some reason, God had to act then and there with that judgment and that was it there was no coming back from it and so it's just no, it's just right. kind of it's just kind of fascinating you know again it's well beyond our human comprehension um you know that something must have happened and it must have been so wicked and evil that god right it grieved him and he had to act in judgment then and there yes yes well i mean yeah there, there, there's no doubt about it son and um you know, I just, I just think that um, we're not, we're not told, we're not told much about it in Scripture. Um, it, it just says, you know, that when they sinned, God put them, um, you know, God put them into into this uh, this dungeon, this dark dungeon. And the only thing I can find in Scripture that is specific that I, I believe uh, deals with this is that that sin that they committed by trying to pervert marriage. And, and you know, it's interesting too, Son, because. It compares it to Sodom and Gomorrah. So, you know, we know that the sin of adultery, the sin of fornication, that, that, that those are incredibly, you know, grievous in God's eyes, and that far more people commit those sins than homosexuality. But it's interesting that it compares, it compares um, the, the sin of these fallen angels to what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, and both of those signs were a perversion of God's design for marriage between a man and a woman. I mean... You know, there are a few things that God has designed that are more important to him than, than marriage between a man and a woman. And, and, and so, um, personally, I believe the thing that, that was committed to angels is exactly what, what, what Genesis is describing there. Um, because, um, you know, I mean, heck, I, I've been a pastor 31 years. Um, I've studied the Bible a long time. Um, and, and I have always kind of looked at it like, um, even, you know, many, you know, wonderful Bible-believing Christians look at it today. They just kind of look at it like, well, those verses of Jude and Peter um, must be referring to when the angels fell uh, with, with, with Lucifer. And you know what, Scott? Maybe they do. But, but I, I think it makes more sense biblically um, to, to look at that in the light of what the sons of God in Genesis were doing with the daughters of men. Um, to me, um, that rises to the level that would um, require immediate sentence into hell. Because isn't that interesting? That God didn't say to them, well, you know, you guys have really messed up my plan for marriage by coming to earth and, and marrying these women and, and then creating, you know, having the Nephilim and so forth. Um, 
it's interesting that God didn't postpone their judgment the way that it is for all other human beings who have died and are in Hades without the Lord, you know, those who've died without Christ, or, or those demons who are still working in the world. So, like you say, it would have had to have been something really bad that they did, and, and I, I don't see anything else in Scripture that would rise to that level. But boy, that, should that ever be a warning to a son also in our world today, you do not mess with God's plan for marriage between a man and a woman. It does not end well for you if you mess with that, if you try to alter that, if you offer up a counterfeit for that, the way that those demons did, the way they were in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and the way that people are today, so I was very flowery language. And, and, and they even will try to make a biblical case for it. But I'll tell you what, you're not going to be able to convince the Lord that his plan was wrong when you stand before him on Judgment Day. And, and, and we just need to pray, Saad, that anyone who's been deceived into accepting a counterfeit design for marriage, that, that, that God opens their heart to see that, that this is such a violation to the Lord that it, it cannot be um, condoned in the heart of one who is professing to, uh, to follow Christ. It just can't. Um, biblically, um, the Lord said that that's just not possible. So um, there's many, many lessons, I believe, in, in these texts for us to learn. Dan Dilzell, pastor at Redeemer Church in Papillion, Nebraska, also an author of many articles on topics such as this that you can find at the Christian Post. And um, Dan, again, we just, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, maybe the Nephilim and the Nephilim and the sons of God and the daughters of man and, you know, maybe that whole thing isn't necessary to really delve into as far as the specifics, like with a Nephilim 10 feet tall, 20 feet tall, you know, it's probably irrelevant. But the example and what went on is, I think, a lesson that we can take from it and that we can learn. And at that time, you know, Noah, um, there was a reason God came and acted. And, you know, are we going to be the righteous one like Noah? Are we going to be the one that's just walking with God? Are we going to be the one that's following in his footsteps? Are we going to be the one that's trying to live our life for him? We're going to fall. We're going to sin. We're going to fail many times over and over and over again. But uh, God offers, you know, uh, forgiveness if we repent. And uh, he embraces us every time we fall and we repent. And so all we have to do is remember that, you know, God is there for us. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And because of that, we don't have to face the the damnation of a flood or fire and brimstone like at at, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah or even the the deepest abyss of Hades. You know, we have Jesus as our intercessor, one who, if we repent and come to him and believe, we shall be saved and spend all eternity in heaven. So there's a choice, but the choice yeah. is ours. Are we going to you know, leave our proper place and follow Satan and end up in damnation, or are we going to follow yeah. Jesus and, and gain our rightful spot yeah. in the right. kingdom of heaven? Well, and I'll tell you, Son, to, to really back up your point, um, I'll use a, a quick illustration here. Um, you know, for the person who might be listening to this, and, and, and who's maybe contemplating, you know, what they're going to do with Jesus and what they're going to believe about all of these things. Um, here's the picture the Bible paints, basically, if I could, if I could just do an image. And that is, um, picture there being a tree um, about uh, seven feet from the edge of a cliff that, that leads down into a volcano. And picture that there's a rope tied around that tree. And it doesn't look to be tied too securely, but um, securely enough for you to try to lean back. You're on the edge of the volcano, leaning backwards, holding the rope, and just trying to have a little bit of fun, leaning back, seeing how far you can lean before maybe the, the rope breaks free from the tree or you accidentally let go or something like this. That's the image the Bible paints for the souls of those um, who are not yet connected to Christ. 
I know it's a very graphic um, image, my friend, but it's no more graphic than the words uh, that Jesus describes about hell, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the fire uh, does never never goes out, uh, and and uh, you know it, it's a horrible place, my friend. That that you would never want to be in. You would never want you know anyone really to go to, but but heaven is a million times more extreme on the good side than we can imagine. Hell is a million times worse than we can imagine. But the image I hope you have in your mind is that is that of leaning over the edge. Because that truly, no matter what you're doing with hobbies, careers, education, material things, money, um, uh, retirement planning, you know, uh, vacation trips, all these things, whatever you're doing, um, at the end of the day, your, your body's going to perish and your soul can only go to heaven or hell. And you'll be given an, a, a, a new body wherever you're at that will never perish. Um, and, and those in hell will have a body. That's why Jesus said that those um, should, you know, that man should be afraid of those who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Get that body and soul. So not just body, not just your soul, but the body will suffer in hell just the way it is today for those fallen angels and Tartarus. Um, so, my friend, take that very seriously, will you? Um, and rather than leaning out over the edge quickly, um, you know, quickly come back onto the, the, the surface there. Don't lean out over the edge, run to that tree. And, um, and remember that Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. So run to Jesus who is vine. Um, and, and he will produce great fruit in your life once you accept him as savior, but you don't want to play with, with hell, um, because there are no do-overs. There's no, no do-overs once you leave this world. So please, today, um, before you take your final breath, um, even tonight, before you go to sleep tonight, uh, please call on the Lord, and, and you'll be so glad you did. Dan, thanks so much. We appreciate it each and every week when you come on with us, talking about these things, sharing your thoughts, your um, experience, your wisdom. We really appreciate it. Again, if someone wants to maybe find out more and they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Well, uh, I would uh, invite anybody to email me if they have uh, other questions or thoughts or would like to uh, have a dialogue. Um, and that's just uh, Dan Delzell, D-A-N-D-E-L-Z-E-L-L at Cox, C-O-X dot net. And you can find me on Instagram at Eden Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. And uh, again, Dan, thanks so much. We appreciate it. And we look forward to our next conversation. Well, thank you, son. It's uh, been, a, been my privilege to be with you today to talk about these important issues. And for uh, those of you listening, hey, thanks for listening, and do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.